You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. John Wertheim here. It is this week's Sports Illustrated slash Tennis Channel Tennis Podcast. We have a mid-Wimbledon edition. This is a conversation with Nicole Gibbs. A lot of you know Nicole, WTA Tour player, went to Stanford, and recently had a cancer diagnosis. Uh, She's been going about her business, trying to whittle down her ranking and um, make a living as a tennis player, and that was temporarily derailed. A lot of you had uh, written in and on Twitter and asked about Nicole and I figured, let's just go right to the source. She's always been uh, wonderfully candid and um, ha- had an interesting perspective on what she's been through the last 90 days, some of the challenges she's faced, how this has caused her to rethink and reexamine uh, her career and, in, in a broader way, her life. Um, great conversation entirely owing to the guest. Uh, I think you will enjoy this. A lot of perspective here. The spoiler alert is that Nicole uh, will be back in July. She did not get a Wimbledon wildcard, unfortunately, but she will be back in action this month. So uh, maybe that that helps uh, knowing that before you listen. But uh, this is uh, is a great conversation. So uh, here's Nicole. I feel like I want to get out of the way and just uh, let you share your story. Um, it's It's been an interesting few months for you, hasn't it? Yes, um, it's been weird to say the least. What was the uh, sort of what's what's the first plot point here? Yeah, so um, a couple months ago, I was actually getting ready to go to um, Caroline Wozniacki's bachelorette party, um, and you know, as part of that, I was doing all my like beauty routines, getting my eyelash extensions, getting my nails done, <laughs> just trying to look cute for the weekend. You know, very important stuff. Um, and I got an email in my inbox from my dentist, who I had probably not seen in um, about a year or a year and a half. And there was a promotion. It was like free teeth whitening with your next appointment. And I was like, perfect, couldn't be better timing. And so I called my dentist 
and um, schedule an appointment for before I would go on the trip. Um, and while I was there, um, my dentist inadvertently found this mask um, in the roof of my mouth that, <clears throat> excuse me, I had actually been aware of for um, quite some time, and by that I mean several years. Um, but I had brought it up with my uh, doctor before, and she thought it was this thing called a torus palatinus, um, which is essentially like a, a bony growth that you can get in the roof of your mouth. Um, and my I told my dentist that. I was like, my GP didn't think it was anything. And he said, I, you know, I still think I would get it checked out. And so um, me being me, I get very stressed out with medical things. I scheduled an appointment for the very next morning, first thing. Um, and I had an oral surgeon take out um, the tumor for biopsy. Um, and he assured me, he looked at it, he was like, this is going to be benign for sure. Like, go have fun on your trip. Um, you know, the surgery was really minimal, so I was still able to, like, enjoy myself and be normal. Um, and then I got back, and I was kind of waiting um, on the news and kind of, like, starting to get surprised that I hadn't heard back yet. And so I started pestering. Um, the doctor's office and finally um, a doctor got on the phone with me and was like hey like do you want to come in and talk about the results um, at which point I was like no just tell me what it is because obviously that means it's bad um, and he told me it was cancer and um, kind of nothing beyond that just it's cancer if you want to come in for a few minutes and talk about it that's fine but I'm not really going to have any color to add to the situation um, because I'm not a specialist in this um so that was kind of a wild um week or so um and it took us a full three or so days from then um to get any sort of like prognostic clarity about um you know whether it was good cancer bad cancer on the spectrum of cancers um it ended up being pretty much the best possible case scenario um, but those three days kind of living in that uncertainty was um, definitely something I've never experienced before, just having no idea of the scope um, of where things were. So that was the start to the story. Um, and things have gone a little, a little bit, um, gotten a little bit easier from there, but that was definitely the, um, the worst of the crisis moment. We'll, we'll save a discussion of Carolyn Wozniacki's uh, Girls Weekend for another time. Um, but you, you get back, are you, you, you have three days of, are, are you online? Are you just waiting for results? Are you trying to proactively game plan? What, what are those three days like? Yeah, so, I mean, I had heard from other friends of mine who had gone through similar situations that um, Google is generally not the best. Um, thing to do yeah. um, when you're facing a situation <laughs> like that. And of course, me being me, I didn't listen. Um, and the first thing I did was like, you know, oral cancer prognosis. And I read like one number that was like 17% five-year survival and pretty much just had like a full-blown panic attack. And then my fiance was like, okay, and that's, that's where the Googling ends for you. I am our team Googler. <laughs> And from now on, I will be handling all of this, um, you know, and so as best we were able to, or I should say as he was able to, because I was not allowed anywhere near that anymore, um, he did research based on the very sparse um, pathology report that we received from the oral surgery place, um, and we were somewhat 
comforted um, by by what we were reading on my you know prognosis uh, or on my pathology report um, against what we were reading online. Um, but again, you know, there was just so much uncertainty. No one we could really talk to. Um, you know, it's a really rare form of cancer as it was first diagnosed. Um, I think it it makes up uh, 1% of all cancers, mucoepidermoid carcinoma, which is basically a fa fancy way of saying salivary gland cancer. Um, so we were, yeah, we were in a position of not really knowing anything, and I was banned from Google immediately, and I was taking a lot of Xanax <laughs> to make it through the day. <laughs> I was going to say, I love how uh, cer certain, you know, certain workplaces ban you from certain websites. You've, you've got the Google ban in your, in your household. Um, yes, I have a cancer ban on Google. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. You, you mentioned Xanax, and you, you've also been very outspoken about mental health. What, what was the interplay here between mental health and having this, this uncertainty and this, this destabilization? So, you know, it's really interesting. I've actually been largely off medication for the last year, um, haven't taken anything, um, haven't really been in therapy, been plugging away, using my mindfulness in a pretty good place. Um, but of course, you know, you receive traumatic news or something like that. And, uh, you know, I had an old Xanax prescription. I immediately messaged my um, psychiatrist and I was like, hey, extenuating circumstances, do you think it would be appropriate for me to use it? And he's like, yeah, absolutely. Like, um, if there's ever a time for Xanax, it's now. Um, so I kind of picked that to heart and, uh, you know, didn't, I, I guess I didn't judge myself for feeling like I needed that at times. Um, I pretty much only took it before bed just so that I could sleep okay at night. Um, and that helped a lot, just um, allowing me to get restful night sleeps and, uh, you know, not get too fatigued on the front end of all of the trauma. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I guess, the short answer is that um, my mental health history played into my reaction to my diagnosis a lot less than 
than I thought it would. Um, my immediate thought it was, um, you know, or like the the bad shoulder angel was like, you're weak to begin with. How are you going to handle something like this? Um, and I've been really surprised pleasantly at every turn that, um, yeah, I've really been able to handle it. And I think it's just like kind of a, a testament to human strength. We don't really know what we're capable of until we have to be capable of it. Um, and in a way, my anxiety and my depression were very quiet through this whole experience because um, I didn't have any room for that. Right, it was right. Like, what do I need to do to survive the next 10 minutes, the next two days, the next 48, you know, whatever it is. Um, so, yeah, they were, they were surprisingly in the background for me and have continued to. Where, where's tennis in all this? Um, you know, immediately off the bat, not even part of my mental landscape. I think I was, um, you know, immediately thrown into that kind of, okay, what does this mean for me as a human? Like, do I have an expiration date? Like, um, am I going to have to go through, like, really traumatizing therapies? Am I going to have to do chemo? Um, you know, it definitely occurred to me, like, wow, like, you know, maybe... Um, for all the times I've been like, oh, you know, tennis is so brutal. I want to quit tennis. It, it might be taken away from me. Um, and that was a really profound thought um, and something that stuck with me as I've uh, set to come back. Um, but, yeah, I, I think, you know, the number one priority was just like, okay, how do, we, how do we get me back to a normal quality of life or is that going to be attainable? Um, am I going to have permanent um, you know, issues with my mouth. Um, you know, there were just so many unanswered questions in the first few days. Do you have the answers to some of those questions now? Uh, yes. Um, so the, the surgery was successful. We had a little bit of a surprise, uh, a couple of surprises after surgery. So initially I was supposed to be in the hospital for two days on a feeding tube for the same two days. Um, and then I was supposed to be discharged on the third day um, and, you know, set about recovering in some sort of like four to six week timeline, which we thought I could shrink, um, you know, given that I was healthy going into surgery. Um, and then a couple of things happened. First of all, my tumor had been biopsied so extensively, like basically they took out the entire tumor um, when normally when you biopsy, you would leave some to the surgeon in case it is, you know, a case like mine. Um, and my surgeon said when he went in to actually like cut me open, he, he wasn't even sure where the tumor was in my mouth anymore because the biopsy had taken out so much tissue. And so ironically, um, the surgery had to be a little more invasive um, for my surgeon to be, you know, entirely confident that he got the tissue that he needed. Wow. Um, so that was the first kind of setback, which is kind of crazy and just, um, you know, kind of shitty luck. Um, and then the second setback was um, I had this prosthetic that was put in my mouth that was like kind of like a glorified retainer um, that I had had fitted before the surgery. Um, and the idea was it would be in 24-7 for the first like couple weeks after surgery and I would only take it out um, to wash it once a day and that's to prevent um, 
you know, infection and protect the area, um, you know, on the roof of my mouth while it was healing. Um, and there was an issue with the prosthetic. Um, so it basically like wasn't staying on the roof of my mouth and they had to screw it into the roof of my mouth um, instead of just popping it in like a retainer. And so that was a setback for a couple of different reasons. First of all, you can't rinse it. Um, you, you, know, you can't take it out to rinse it when it's screwed in. Um, so for the entire week that I ended up being in the hospital, they couldn't take it out to rinse it, which obviously like caused infection and all sorts of you know unfortunate byproducts. And then the second thing is that um, the doctor couldn't see in to check on the status of the wound. Um, and so when I went home from the hospital, I, I checked out and immediately went to the prosthetic clinic to have them remove the screw. Um, and then when I went home, I found that one of the sutures in the back of my wound had blown open. Um, and what that meant was basically I had a gaping hole in the roof of my mouth. Um, so Man. for practical concerns, what that meant was anytime I tried to drink water, it would just immediately come out of my nose. And we had had indications of that in, in the hospital um, where I had tried to drink water and it would come out my nose. Um, and so I ended up being on a feeding tube for three full weeks instead of the two days that they had um, originally slated me for. So um, just a couple really unlucky things um, that, you know, shouldn't have happened but did happen. And uh, that kind of set me back for a little while. Could you do anything physical? I mean, could you? Um, You're not... not. Not in the first three weeks. Three weeks, I was pretty much laid out. I was on Oxy. I was, you know, taking all the bad drugs that you shouldn't be taking for three weeks. Right. Um, and then, of course, the next step, which is suffering the withdrawals from taking the medications that you shouldn't be um, taking for three weeks. Um, but at about that three-week mark, I started to get antsy, and I, I got back in the gym, even if it was, like, pretty pathetic, and um, started getting out on hikes and um, just getting active because I was so stir-crazy. Um, but I kind of, I kind of uh, diverted a little bit here. The good news was um, after a week in the hospital, my surgeon came in to update me on everything, and he said that the margins were clear, which was awesome. He did give me some concerning news, which was that I had a re-diagnosis, um, and so it wasn't what they originally thought, this new thing called uh, sclerosing microcystic adenocarcinoma. And if I had thought the previous diagnosis was rare, um, allegedly there are only 12 documented cases oh, of man. the one that I now have. And um, the only distinction between that previous one that they thought I had and this one is that um, the cancer can travel aggressively along my nerve pathways. Um, so it is a little concerning um, in as much as it can kind of jump tissue in a way that um, the previous diagnosis uh, would not have allowed for. So it was a little creepy, but um, my surgeon assures me that the behavior of my tumor suggests that it was not traveling aggressively along my nerves. It simply had the capability to do so if it had wanted, um, which I guess is comforting, but um, in the moment was a little jarring. It's so strange how we give these, we give these qualities to cancer as if it uh, is a you know, ascension being. Um, you right. you said uh, you said this was a time of mindset shift. What do you mean yeah. by that? What do you mean by that? I think it's hard 
to come away from like um you know being confronted with your mortality and not have some sort of uh you know attitude shift toward the world around you i've been so blessed in my life i um have experienced uh very little unscheduled loss in terms of um you know people around me uh anytime my friends have dealt with illness they've they've come out the other side um you know victorious so for me to kind of like have to face down even for three days the idea that um you know i might not be around anymore um i think it, it just puts everything in a completely new perspective um made me think about tennis differently and um view it with a lot more gratitude um, and also a lot less seriousness. Um, I was like, wow, in the scheme of all the things I worry about on a day-to-day basis, like, right, right. it's really kind of irrelevant. Um, and so I think that's, that's led to a couple of epiphanies. Um, <laughs> one that I credit to Phil Knight, because I'm in the middle of Shoe Dog right now. Okay, uh, sure. And he's, yeah, he's talking about um, just like how he just ruthlessly reinvested every penny um, that he had into his dream of Nike. Right. Um, and and I was kind of thinking about that from a tennis perspective and, you know, with this newfound, like, um, sense of my own, like, mortality, not just as a human, but maybe as a tennis player, too, is like, okay, like, why am I not investing, like, every penny that I'm earning, in a sense, like, back into my game? I've always been, like, very... Um, you know, stingy, always trying to find good deals and, you know, worrying about spending too much money and worrying about my bottom line. I think um, moving forward, I'm, I'm going to try to view tennis a lot less like that and a lot more as just this incredible experience that I, I'm lucky to be able to have and, um, you know, invest everything I have into it to see how good I can be. And then, you know what, if I don't cut it, um, there will be other much more stable, much less risk, um, risk in, right. in careers uh, for after tennis. So um, I guess that's one of the biggest takeaways. And then just that kind of like permanent sense of gratitude that you get um, whenever you have like kind of a confrontation with mortality. That's really profound. I mean, it sounds like you're, you, you want to bet on yourself a little bigger. Oh, for sure. I, I think I, in so many ways I have, um, in, in a lot of other ways, some of them mental, I haven't. I haven't allowed myself to kind of, like, go all in, um, whether it be, like, fear of failure or I think I've always had this sense, like, oh, I, I don't want to be, you know, some tennis player who loses money on tour. For some reason, that was always really, like, uh, you know, like, shocking for me. It's like, oh, like, how can you take yourself seriously if you're not even making money at what you do? And now I'm like, wow, like that's such a shallow way to look at things. And actually I had it backwards and I think uh, I need to look at it a little different way and look at it as an experience and, and finding ways to maximize not only like what I can be on the court, but what I can be as a person. And if that means, you know, spending money, um, you know, hiring more people different people getting new perspectives like so be it and you know that's great the more the merrier i think that's your iowa component with the uh frugality um you did uh you did get to go to carolyn wozniacki's wedding so uh that's a plus 
Yes, and that was very last minute. I was um, actually really struggling about a week before, had just not turned the corner, was still in a lot of pain, having trouble coming off of my pain meds. And on a whim, I uh, emailed my doctor and I was like, so by the way, I'm assuming Tuscany for my friend's wedding is out of the question. And he was like, no, I think you need to go. <laughs> and I was like, oh, wow, okay. Um, and ironically, I think that helped me so much just uh, having something to look forward to um, and like get motivated to you know do the silly things like you know shop for an outfit to wear and like you know I, I just started being more of a normal human as soon as I was okay to go on that I spent less time on the couch and more time actually um, doing things out in the world it was really helpful for me and then the wedding itself was completely magical everything you might expect and more Give us, uh, I feel like my wife here would, give us some details. What, uh, I don't know, what, that, when, you're, when your friends say, what was it like, what do you tell them? Yeah, I mean, first of all, the, the venue was just outrageous. I mean, we were staying in these beautiful villas, um, and, you know, Caroline and David were, were um, kind enough to, uh, to cover that for everyone, so at no expense to ourselves, which was, you know, incredible and so generous, and, um, you know the, the the rosewood there is just uh you you can't even capture it in photos it looks unbelievable in photos but in person it was just this like fake fairy tale we were all joking because like during the ceremony i swear like five minutes before they started walking down the aisle um like all these birds started chirping all around us it was like oh my gosh are we in cinderella right now <laughs> like, this is actually like a storybook fake so perfect wedding so it was it was amazing to be a part of and just uh you know surrounded by so much love and the two families are incredible so i I just felt really fortunate to be a part of it and i I think it speaks to the sisterhood of uh your profession as well this was one of your your first big activities was to go see a colleague get married oh yeah for sure and you know she's one of my best friends and and also um you know, a huge role model and mentor for me um, and has just been incredible for me throughout this entire process also. So um, to get to go celebrate with her was really special, I I think, for both of us, but um, let's say especially for me. And you have have your own wedding to uh, prepare for, am I correct? I do. And that was another... uh, Wow, that was really funny. Um, That was another kind of like flash before my eyes moment like when we were going through this diagnosis I was like wow like are we gonna get to get married are we gonna have to reschedule am I gonna be dead like I had no idea what was happening so um, I'm definitely viewing our wedding with a new layer of gratitude as well Make sure birds come out like five minutes before you walk down the aisle. Right? I mean, it's kind of unfair to have to follow that. I feel like that kind of rendered all future weddings irrelevant, but um, we will do our best. Um, where, uh, where, where are you at now? Obviously not playing, but I mean, where are you metaphysically? How are, how are you looking at the rest of the summer? What's sort of, what, what are your GPS coordinates uh interior right right now yeah so i'm let's see what's the date right now i'm about five weeks out of surgery um 
and I have logged about two, two and a half, almost three weeks in the gym already, which is awesome. Um, and I started on court um, earlier this week, um, and I was really lucky because I had such a good base with my trainer um, that honestly, I kind of like felt like I picked up where I left off in terms of tennis. I've been joking with everyone down at Carson at the USDA Center that the difference between um, taking three days off and taking five weeks off is pretty marginal. Um, <laughs> once you've hit your 10,000 hours, I think you can like play tennis in your sleep, um, or at least at least if you have the fitness base. So, uh, big shout out to my trainer for getting me back on my feet as quick as possible. Na- name check. Um, yeah, Danny Ciccolini. All right, Ciccolini. Um, yeah, he's, he's epic. Um, I linked up with him via my old um, trainer, Mike Guevara, and he recommended this guy highly, and we started working together in December, and it's been awesome. He's been so supportive through everything and is, um, you know, my number one fan and also, um, you know, my number one pusher really just, like, uh, day in, day out, making sure I'm, I'm getting myself um, back into fighting shape. So... I was actually very ambitious. I did throw my hat in the ring for uh, a Wimbledon wild card um, because I will be starting playing points on Monday, so I would have a, a full week of, uh, of point play under my belt by right. the time I started. But um, Wimbledon did just announce, and I think they went like next five in or something as opposed to awarding wild cards. So um, not to be this time around. I think I ended up like nine out, so that was pretty frustrating but um it is what it is and and i'll be ready to come back um one week after that in honolulu now that's not bad no not bad at all um i feel very lucky and you know of course barring any setbacks or anything like that but um the plan right now is to go play honolulu that's the week of july 8th and then um the week of july 15th i'll start my world team tennis season which Honestly, like, could not come at a better time. Like, can you imagine any better way to get back in the exactly. tennis and play 14 shortened format matches in 18 days? It's, it's literally as perfect as it could be. What, uh, what, what team are you on? I'm on the Breakers in Orange County. Oh, good. I was going to say, so you don't have to, uh, you, don't, you can sleep in your own bed sometimes, too. Yep, exactly. So it's not going to be too, too harrowing. And I'm already feeling almost myself, um... I, I still have a hole in the roof of my mouth, which is why I sound a little funny. Um, that and maybe some congestion from traveling to Italy and back in four days. Um, but I, uh, I'm on the mend, and uh, we're on kind of a wait and see with how long it's going to take for that to close. But my surgeon keeps assuring me that it will close with time. Um, all right, last question, because uh, I also feel like you've, you've been talking a long time for someone who just had... Uh... A lot of road work in her mouth as well. Um, oh, no, it's fine. I, I just went to a wedding, so I can handle right. it. So, so let me ask you this. When, when people go through this a lot, and um, what, what they invariably say is, you don't know how much your support meant. And one of the reasons we're talking is because so many people have asked me to check in and how, how is she doing. Um, you've alluded to it on, on Instagram as well. When people say how much the support has meant to them, what, what did that mean to you? I mean, how sort of demonstrably, how did that manifest itself? I mean, I, I feel like it, it makes sense intuitively, but I'm always curious how that support really expresses itself. 
Does that make any? Did that make sense? I didn't ask that particularly yeah, well. Yeah, no, it definitely does. Um, so I'm going to answer that in a really circuitous way. Um, so one of my biggest takeaways, and uh, it sounds weird to say, like I'm grateful that this happened to me, but I, I genuinely really am, and I think. Um, you know, it's one of those things where if it's not the worst thing that happens to you, it's probably going to be the best. Um, I have always been so weird around illness and um, just like morbidity in general. I've been really uncomfortable with the premise of illness and death. Um, and it's made me like, I think, hold back in a lot of relationships. Like, you know, tangentially, I had, um, you know, a friend not too long ago get diagnosed with uh, a really severe form of cancer and you know it wasn't a close friend it was someone I knew in college but I just didn't reach out I didn't know what to say and so I didn't say anything um, and I think one of the most important things that I've learned through this process is like there's really nothing that you can say um, that is worse than saying nothing when when someone is going through something like that um, and, and I think it's natural to, to have an aversion or be uncomfortable um, if you haven't experienced something like that yourself. But I think just the wisdom of that has been so important. And actually, since going through this, I, um, you know, reached out to that same friend and I was like, hey, how are you? And also, I'm sorry. Um, here's what I've learned in the last couple months and I hope you're doing okay. Um, but I, I just think that all messaging and all sort of like sounds and sites of support while you're going through something difficult um, just helps you to not feel alone, um, which I think is the hardest part about going through something like this is it's kind of like dark and shadowy and feels like something that you like kind of, um, you know, have to take on alone. I think, you know, in America in particular, I think we're really weird about death and we don't really talk about it. And when people are sick, we try not to talk about it. Um, and so, you know, after we, uh, after we were diagnosed, after I was diagnosed, I had a conversation with Jack and I was like, how can we, how can we make this feel a little bit less dark and shadowy? Like, how can we bring some humor to this? Um, and, you know, I, I decided right off the bat, you know, I'm, I'm open about everything. I'm going to be open about this. Um, you know, I'm going to share snaps from the hospital. I want people to, you know, see a lot of the good moments that happen right, right. Uh, while you're going through something like this. Um, and I, I, I think that's um, been my biggest takeaway is just like any support is, is so meaningful because it adds to that feeling of, um, you know, community and being supported. And that's the number one thing you need when you're lying in a hospital bed. Um, you know, I've always kind of thought flowers were silly. Um, and I loved every like bouquet of flowers that I got. It was so meaningful. Um, so I, yeah, I think it just made me, it made me completely shift the way that I deal with my interpersonal relationships and the way that I think about illness and and um you know my own morbidity but also like so appreciative uh for the tennis community who has just been there every step of the way um you know supporting me whether it be on social media or writing to me or whatever it, it it's all seen and it is all vastly appreciated i 
say this with the texts and emails to uh, confirm it, that I speak for a lot of people when I say, um, it's good to hear this, it's good to hear from you, and a lot of people are looking forward to uh, seeing you back out there. Well, uh, hopefully it won't be too long. It's going to be a lot of fun. Hawaii is not a bad place to launch a comeback. Um, no, that was strategic. This, uh, this is great. I hope you lavish yourself with uh, all sorts of hotel suites and trainers and massages and first-class airfare. Um, this, uh, this is really just really good conversation. I really appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks for chatting and thanks for caring about my story. <laughs> Good luck and uh, look forward to seeing you on the court soon. All right. I'll be back soon. Thanks right. for having me. Thanks. Take care. All right. That does it for uh, for this podcast. Thanks so much to uh, Nicole Gibbs. Always a pleasure talking with her. And um, I think you just got a vivid illustration of uh, of why. So we, we wish her well. Tennis wishes her well. And uh, you also wish... Uh, other players had um, other athletes, other people had a, a fraction of that perspective. Um, so this was a little bit different. We'll be back to uh, Hardcore X's nose. We're in the middle of the, the third major of Wimbledon. But um, I, I thought people have been asking about Nicole, and I thought uh, this, this would be a good update podcast. So thanks, uh, thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks uh, for the guest suggestions. Keep them coming. We'll try to do a few more of these at Wimbledon. Maybe uh, Jamie and I will assess the tournament uh, periodically. And you can subscribe to, uh, to this podcast wherever fine podcasts are sold. Leave a review. Keep the guest suggestions coming. Enjoy Wimbledon, and uh, we'll do it again soon.